Hello and welcome to Naturally Curious. This is a show where I pick the brain of different cool people every episode. I am Clayton Law, and my guest today is business professor Ray Dart. How are you doing, Ray? I'm doing very well, thank you. Based on my observations, so this is not backed by StatCan or any research. When I think of high school student, when when they don't know what、uh, they want to study, they seems to always study business, computer science, or psychology. Were you like that when you、uh, decide to become a business student, or did you even start it as a business student?、Um, not, I was not like that uh, at all. Um, uh, reference you're saying not、uh, from StatsCan or anything like that. I know that in an article in the New York Times last year, they were talking about business in America being the default major. It's the major that、uh, many students will take. Uh, just because they don't have any idea of what to major in, really.、Um, but I was not like that at all. I'm from、uh, Bracebridge, a couple hundred kilometers northwest of here. And during high school,、uh, I was interested in some of everything. But、uh, I loved English literature. I had one of the most amazing English teachers ever.、Uh, I loved biology. I loved calculus.、Uh, <laughs> I had a lot of different interests. Uh, so, what did you start it as? Like, what kind of st- what, what,、uh, when you did university? What did you start it? So, first thing is is that it was here. It was at Trent. Really,、uh, I came to do my undergrad at Trent.、Uh, I was in Champlain College,、uh, and an IJ staircase. And I came here、um, in in a, I think what is one of the kind of the best Trent mindsets.、Uh, really having no idea、uh, of anything specific. And just interested, interested in being interested.、Um, so when I came here, and I remember in first year,、uh, I had uh, courses in philosophy, uh, uh, biology, uh, politics, statistics, and chemistry. Actually, was what I took in first year. I still remember that. That's mind blowing. <laughs> <laughs> so you 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 didn't plan to become a business student. No, ne- never. You didn't even be,、no. like plan to do business stuff. No, well, you know what? Wouldn't have even、uh, occurred to me、uh, at that stage. And it was neat because I remember Trent Trent's program at that time. It was called. It wasn't a、uh, business business school. It was a sort of a different focus. Somewhat. It was called administrative and policy studies. But it was it was business. And I remember thinking, I was really suspicious of the students in business. <laughs> I thought they looked strange. <laughs> so, what changed? Um. Hmm. What changed?、Uh, I am uh, from from uh, my studies in biology.、Um, I have really、uh, come to appreciate、uh, evolution, which is really you know if you think of it in the social sciences side of. A kind of a more structural version of learning,、um, and、uh, I, I came into business. I think almost sort of backwards or through the the back door、um, uh, after graduating from Trent and doing a bunch of other things. I was actually working in environmental、uh, work in environmental management and community environmental initiatives, and、um, I got really frustrated. Uh, at how little progress、um, our environmental NGOs that I was working with and for were making,、uh, things like Peterborough Greenup,、um, uh, which I was one of the founders of, uh, uh, you know, and so I started thinking, well, I would love to think of how we can make social change work better, 
um, because I thought there were a lot of great ideas, but there wasn't great figuring out how to actually do them. And I thought, well, where are the ideas on really how to do these things? And I thought, you know, business is all about implementation and organization and stuff like that. So with having taken no business courses in my entire life, um, I applied to do a PhD in business. <laughs> and, uh, and that was sort of the beginning <laughs> of a strange evolution. So you, uh, what did you want to do then back then when you didn't, because uh, you didn't, obviously you didn't want to be a business person or something, mm -hmm. but what did you want to do? Like a baseball player? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I've never been, I was never a big thinker about careers. Um, I only, mostly, I, I, I thought a lot about what I was interested in, what I cared about, and kind of what next steps might be. So I was, you know, at that stage, just more interested, you know, I was interested in getting them being employed, just, you know, pay for, pay for food and, and whatever like that. But it was, it was, uh, it was a means to an end. Like I wanted to be employed, uh, you know, to cover my butt, but also to help get good things done in the world and communities. And at that stage, it was almost all environmental focus. You said you didn't care didn't really think about your career but you just said you thought about what's next what do you mean by what's next like okay two yeah. days from now that kind of what's next uh, well maybe a little bit more than that but not that much more <laughs> surprisingly really? not at that stage okay. of my life anyway when i had kids uh that changed somewhat definitely did change somewhat but uh but it was it was i kept looking for uh projects it was sort of like consulting and freelancing projects uh, that were interesting, important, felt like they mattered, and felt like I would really have something to contribute by doing them. And so it was, it was, re it was really neat. Way back um, when I was, maybe just after my undergrad, um, I had a friend who was at McMaster in this really cool arts and science program there. And she had a professor uh, who was actually in phys ed uh, at McMaster. But his big thing was outdoor education and uh, like wilderness canoeing, and his thing he, he you know he, I remember I remember pointing at students and pointing at the group of us which at a pub, uh, talking and saying, "You follow your passion, and life will work out for you." Period. And he said, "You know, in my experience, it's been true. In everybody I know who's done that, it has been true." He said, "I stayed." super passionate about wilderness canoeing and canoe tripping and understanding and all of that. And he said, I've ended up doing things like this <laughs> for a living. All that stuff that I cared about, I kept uh, being passionate about and working really hard at, and it just, it worked for me. And for me, I don't know. I mean, there's always luck. <laughs> there's always <laughs> all kinds of other things too. But um, uh, touch wood. Uh, it's worked out so far. One of your area of expertise is entrepreneurship, right? Mm -hmm. I have a question about it, actually. Someone who is way smarter than me once said that entrepreneurs don't take entrepreneurship course. They just start a business. And the same person also that said that when he encounters people who call themselves entrepreneur, he put 80% probability that this is just some business dreamer who spill hot air from their mouth. I think 
in a similar way, I'm not as like harsh. My opinion is not as harsh, but I feel like entrepreneurship is more about starting a business than talking about starting a business. So, what what is the point of taking entrepreneurship course? In what way does it teach you how to start a business? That it, it, there are there are about. Forty-five different questions in there, and really, really interesting things to think about and talk about.、Um, uh, the entrepreneurship piece—it it, is—it is—it is really interesting. So, one of the pieces that you had in your questions was essentially, you know,、um, uh, so I'll take it in English literature direction. Think about Hamlet, who in that famous soliloquy said, "Thus conscience doth make cowards of us all." Right, essentially, if you think about things too much, you don't do anything. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which is which is kind of the, the a piece in entrepreneurship,、um, and there's all there's lots of research. So this is the thinking side of it. There's lots of research in entrepreneurship that entrepreneurs who spend too much time planning, thinking,、uh, and not and and don't just start, uh, uh, are less successful. And I think that's borne out. Uh, in life, in general, we can、uh, wonder, theorize, hypothesize, and research things to death, but we don't know what's going to work until we try it, right? And that's, you know, that's called entrepreneurship in one sense, but that's life in a very different sense、yeah. of get off off your butt and get in there because you know, in in social science, the area of of academia that I work in. There's a, a a piece,、uh, an area in methodology is called action research, and it is, you know, you can you can the best way to know about something or to know if something is possible is to try and do it, you know. However, that said,、uh, we have a lot to learn from the experience of others,、um, and again, you know, you, this can be really narrow in entrepreneurship where people study Steve Jobs and whatever like that, but. To just think about what we can learn from parents, grandparents, elders, other people in our communities,、uh, you know, uh, uh, it's really easy to reinvent the wheel uh, if we uh, don't look at the experience of others. So, think about when I've taught entrepreneurship, and it's one course area that I love to teach in. One of the pieces that I like to do for entrepreneurship as an assignment for students. Is to essentially get them to walk in the shoes of another practicing entrepreneur, because、uh, you know, on one hand, it's they、like, go out and start a business, and we I get my students doing that too, and I think that's one approach. But another approach is、uh, find somebody who is doing this and spend a day with them. Spend a day with them from basically when they wake up to when they go to bed. See what their life is like. See what they do. See, because、uh, one really important thing about entrepreneurship is learning from the experience of others. You know, getting in there and doing it is one chunk.、Uh, reading about it is another chunk, and getting in a really grounded way and following around other entrepreneurs is, is I think, another chunk. And I think those are all great chunks. My son, um, uh, uh, my wonderful son Connor,、uh, is an entrepreneur, and he's in Ottawa, and he、uh, followed. Kind of the tenor of your question, which was he、um, he's a hairstylist, and he uh, very uh, forcefully uh, bought a hair salon, and 
and quite honestly, he didn't know very much about it. His his was the idea of ready, fire, aim, right? Just mm -hmm. get in there. Well, <laughs> if you ask him now uh, whether he might have benefited by going somewhat slower and getting the experience of others and taking it more seriously, I think he would say that in hindsight, he probably would have benefited from that. But life's a mess. And I'm real belief in, there's another term, equifinality. There's a lot of different ways to do things well. A lot of different roads. So it's, so it's almost kind of like striking a balance between thinking too much and not thinking enough. Um, because thinking too much just kind of like discourage you almost. You know, that the, the Canadian idea, which is going right back to uh, Aristotle or whatever, we really have this idea of sort of the golden mean. Canada, there's a lot of stuff in kind of Canadian thinking about a balance. We don't want to be too extreme in either way. And it's definitely how I am inside. That said, I think there are great examples of people who have been utterly unbalanced and who have made it work, right? Absolutely. Uh, probably who knows about the probabilities of all of it, and I don't know, but uh, it also really depends on the person. And some people just get up and throw themselves into something knowing nothing, and they make it work. <laughs> so, you know what? That's great. I'm, I'm as, as, as I get older, I get a little bit more stress-averse, like things that really stress me out. I kind of avoid a bit, so... It's one of the things where learning from other people's experience, I think that makes life somewhat less stressful because you, you run into fewer walls. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I want to talk about one specific company that I find really interesting, Spotify. Spotify is not based in Silicon Valley. It's actually based in Stockholm. But the nature of the company and the vibe it gives out kind of feels like it is a Silicon Valley company. Do you think there's more advantage of hanging around with uh, their peers, like what everyone's doing, like state, uh, have the headquarter in Silicon Valley? Or do you think there's more disadvantage in doing that? Um, Spotify is uh, first, you know, you like it. It's great. You love it. I hate Spotify. <laughs> hate it. Drives me nuts. Um, just because I love music so much and I, I like music to kind of work a different way. And I know a lot of musicians who just feel like Spotify just rips them off. Um, however, it's a big thing, very popular. But your question, though, is a really neat one. And it is uh, something I think even relates to Peterborough. Like, why would a company like Spotify be in Stockholm when they could be, you know, in Sacramento or around Berkeley somewhere, Silicon Valley, Santa Cruz, Monterey? But the answer is, scratch the surface, scratch, scratch, scratch. And in Stockholm, there's probably lots of amazing peers um, for people there who work with a company like that to really get that vibe and the creativity and things like that uh, as well. And I think, you know, Peterborough uh, is a great example like that of, you know, why would you have stuff in Peterborough? And then I know people who have recently moved to Peterborough and they go, you know, scratch the surface underneath it. There are all kinds of creative, interesting, innovative people uh, here. It's sort of, so it's a matter of kind of connecting with that community. I also think for people uh, thinking about careers and professions and life and family is uh, you want to be somewhere uh, that you love, that you feel good, that you feel like you belong. 
So you take the Spotify people who probably a lot of them From born, Sweden. raised, love Stockholm. They're going to go like California. Shit. <laughs> I don't like that. <laughs> you know, so I think uh, life and purpose and stuff like that really often get connected to a place and a culture and a community. And it's awfully important to have that in a, in a, in a life. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, one of the big reasons why they don't station their headquarters in America is because the founders are probably Swedish. I'm just wondering, like Spotify is almost like an outsider to, like, like say Apple and Google because they all they they all have their headquarters in Silicon Valley. Is there like more advantage from looking from afar and seeing like oh what they're doing over there and like in Silicon Valley and Silicon Valley is like everyone there is thinking alike almost because they all tech people. Okay, not all, but you know what I mean. No, it's a it's a it's a huge thing, and it's you know what you've got some really there's there's really interesting points about the advantages and disadvantages. One of the things is you think tech companies, you know. Theoretically, why should it matter where in the hell you are with technology, Skype, whatever like that? You should be able to have that company anywhere in the world and connect with people. But it's not true. <laughs> Tech companies cluster just like everything else. The software engineers in Silicon Valley have these, you know, things where, I mean, where so many of the ideas are where a software engineer for Amazon, a software engineer for Apple, there happen to be... Uh, at a, ca at a cafe drinking a latte together and they share ideas and, and it gets something clever. Or their kids play on the same soccer team or, or, or they go to the same church or something like that. Um, and those are things that you miss out potentially if you are in Stockholm. But the same idea uh, is that sometimes being outside of a herd gives you a bit of a different, a uh, bit of a fresh, a bit of an unconventional approach. And so sometimes... Being outside of that means you are open to things that, you know, the herd, the the biggest group, doesn't see, and so it can a being on the outside uh, can be something like an advantage, or or you can make it into something like an advantage. It's something I think about uh, as something we at Trent actually could could think about more. Okay, I have the question about the idea of rapid expansion. There are many examples of company fails because of rapid expansion and rapid growth. But in hindsight, you can obviously tell a company failed because of rapid growth. But how can you see, let's say you're working in the company, to see that whether your company is growing too fast or growing just right? Um, the, the best way to know if your company is growing too fast or just right or too slow uh, the best way to know is hindsight, <laughs> but uh, like it's, it's too late, you know, it, it is, uh, it's a great example of the way that, you know, whatever business careers, professions, life in general, you know, you live it forwards, but you make sense of it backwards. And, you know, there, there, there's, you know, in business and organizational research, there is all kinds of research, uh, about the uh, liability of change, the liability of growth. Uh, and it's well known that when things grow quickly, you know, they, there are all kinds of both technical but, and conceptual uh, uh, challenges that they face, but uh, sometimes it still works. Uh, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, sometimes not growing or growing slow 
is a huge problem because somebody grows fast and then wipes you out. Mm -hmm. it, um, life's a mess. <laughs> if, if, if you can remember one thing yeah. in yeah. this podcast is that life is a mess. Life's a mess. <laughs> So you really didn't answer my question. There's, are there signs like you can tell? Let's say you're working in the company. Like, is there are there signs or is there like, yeah, like that can kind of tell that you're growing too fast, too slow. So, um, most so are there are there signs? You know, if you are into the the technical side of business analysis in accounting and finance, for example, uh, uh, rapid growth. One of the biggest issues in rapid growth is you know cash flow, but. I don't imagine too many, you know, that's very, it's technical and it's a big issue, but so there are signs in that technical analysis. But if you're actually just working in a business and it's growing fast, uh, when it's growing fast, you're going to feel like uh, nothing's making much sense. You're going to feel like uh, uh, you don't know who to talk to about stuff. You don't know, you don't, you don't know where things were because where you put them yesterday isn't where they go tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Um uh, when I think about Trent growing, Trent's been growing fairly rapidly and, you know, not rapidly like a tech company uh, might, but it's been growing rapidly and, and you, there's all kinds of stresses associated with it, but whether things are going to fall apart or not, y you tend to just not know. We uh, People are mostly, in my experience, naturally really averse to change, right? Because we uh, change and stress are correlated strongly and we tend to avoid stress mostly. Um, so mostly when things are changing quickly, which, which growth is one form of change, when things are changing quickly, people tend to be scared, scared and stressed. Um, but doesn't mean that it doesn't work. Uh, often it does. Sometimes it doesn't. Last episode, I was talking to uh, Carolyn Kay, and uh, I talked a little bit about bad names. And then I, I, talk, I talked to her about uh, the dark age. Like it's a bad name because the dark age is not dark. I want to talk another bad names in business. I think the term NGO is a bad name because non-governmental organization is, for me, for someone who just read the term, that just means every organization that aren't government. What's what's NGO actually mean? Can you like clarify it? A so bit? that's what, you know what. Uh, so I'm going to a conference in six days in Texas, um, which is all kinds of research on NGOs and nonprofits. And you are so right. That, I mean, the the name is is such a weird name um, because it, 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 you know there's a whole thing in that area where it's you know it's residual category. It's it's not nonprofit. That means it's not a business. Great. Non-governmental, NGO, it means it's not government. But what actually is it, right? Mm -hmm. What actually is it? And nowadays we, you know, are, are, are a chunk of we uh, tend to call these more social enterprises, right? They're an enterprise, okay. uh, but they're doing something on uh, for the betterment of society at some uh, level. A social enterprise, an environmental enterprise. Um, an enterprise, you know, is an idea of something meant to go on a journey. And uh, yeah, so social enterprise is something, is is what some people think is a better name. But the other thing about names is, you know, uh, names, haircuts, things like that, is you get them, 
you kind of like them or don't like them, but then you kind of get used to them. <laughs> and things like nonprofit and NGO, like if you're in international development and in international development, you know, all these people call them NGOs and they've called them NGOs forever. And they might not even think about what it stands for anymore. It's just like, shut up. It's just an NGO. Just NGO. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, social enterprise is more, uh, less misleading. Um, it, I would say. It, so the people who like that term say that it is better to name things on a positive basis for what they are than on a negative basis for what they're not. Okay. So social enterprise or NGO. But that's an awfully rational way to think about names. And uh, <laughs> names are historical and accidental. And this loops back to the, th the not the theory, maybe the truism that life is a mess. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I like talking about names. It just it, it's it's fun. It's actually like quite pointless. I mean, talk talking about names. Oh, point, it's it, so it, pointless, it, but it, it's so fun. Names are it's pointless and interesting. One of the things I love doing in my classes is, uh, and that I think is really uh, a fun piece of you know, so naturally curious of curiosity uh, of just a very eclectic uh, uh, curiosity is thinking about names and what things are called because it's you know. There's the word etymology, not entomology, which is insects, but etymology, which is about the origin of phrases, the origin of words, the origin of concepts. So, you know, when we think about, you know, uh, like a, uh, what we call a, a practice uh, of something, we often call it a dry run. We're going to do a dry run of it, right? And there's this like, yeah, everybody goes, yeah, it's a dry run, right? It's not, not the actual performance. It's a dry run. It's like, why? Why is it called a dry run? Do you know why it's called a dry run? Why? It's a Canadian expression, and it comes from prohibition. It's historical. So when the Canadian bootleggers were taking booze across the American border to sell, uh, which is where the Seagrams and Bronfmans made their first gazillions of dollars, um, uh, Bronfmans anyway, and uh, they would first send a caravan trucks and all these transport trucks but with no booze in them across the border to see if there were border agents there that was the dry run because oh. there was no booze in it if those weren't intercepted then they would send the trucks loaded with the booze across that's quite interesting so names right names yeah. are cool it's and, so and, fun to talk and about. names phrases words they all have history and the stories of these things is really cool okay uh in high school if you get a good English mark, that usually means you're gonna do decent in university university English. And if you do good at math, usually means you're gonna do pretty good at math in university. What do you think, in your opinion, is the best course in high school to take as a launching ground to do business program in university? You ask great questions. <laughs> <laughs> um, to to me, it is uh, you know there there's formal preparation. But I would say, you know, so it's like, oh, should you take business in high school? Should you take accounting? Not necessarily. I'd say the best preparation for taking business at university is to take hard courses in high school, challenging okay. courses, uh, because uh, success at university isn't so much about having specific background in a specific subject. It is a little bit, but to me, much more, it's about a good work ethic and a good ability to learn. So if you've taken easier courses, you just haven't pushed yourself in the same way. 
And success at university, and that's not just taking business, that's taking anything, to me, is about your ability to take on a challenge and to really go for it. And uh, uh, so if you have uh, treated yourself with extremely soft or easy courses, and I know there's some high school business courses that are by reputation pretty easy, you may have a little bit of background in the business subject, but you haven't had to work hard. And here, especially if you take a course with me, <laughs> I want you to work hard, right? right? I'm not going to take a course with you. <laughs> uh, we make it interesting and fun too. I actually think the most important thing to be successful in uh, university is actually just spend your time well. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's, definitely. It's not even like don't socialize or don't play video games. I used to wake up and then just look at my phone. Like I'm not even out of bed. I'm just looking at my phone for good like 40 minutes. And and I'm not even having fun. I'm not even having fun. I'm just like looking at it. And then from a year ago, I told myself 10 minutes is the maximum of a browsing I can do when I wake up. So I just force myself to get down and start the day. Like say I make breakfast or something and I can just do the same thing when I make breakfast anyway. But then I'll be doing two things at once. I, I good time management. I would even take it, you know, this is university. And one of the things that's great about it is to take things even, kick them up a level. So that, that's good time management. But think of that, I, I forget which of the philosophers of Plato or Aristotle said, the unexamined life is not worth living. What you did is, you know, it's time management, yes, but you really reflected on your life. You didn't just live it. You kind of thought about what you were doing in it and go, you know, uh, how can how can I own this life? How can I make it what I really want it to be? Uh, by looking at what you were doing in the morning, you kind of go, Shit, I'm I'm starting slow. I'm kind of wasting. I'm wasting some stuff where I could do other things while I'm still doing that. I can I can make I can take my life. I can grab it, and I can move it up a notch. And to me. That's a really exciting opportunity uh, in life in general, a really thing that I always hope uh, my students at Trent uh, do, which is, you know, and this is, it, it's fun, social, it's messy, it's, it's academic, it's all those things. But to just, uh, you know, we're swimming through this water of life and to think, oh, what water am I in? What am I doing here? What? And to think about it and to grab it, to direct it a little bit, to, to, to after we look at it, to nudge it up a bit, to make it more of what we want it to be. Because, you know, we are, uh, we can captain our own ship, right? It doesn't have to drift. We can steer it. And you just talked about steering. And uh, uh, I think it takes self-awareness, uh, the, uh, that examined life, to be kind of a rudder to, to steer. Because otherwise we just go wherever the wind blows. Because I have that kind of self-awareness because I got the result and I don't like the result. So I was like, yeah. got to think about what I'm doing wrong. So I think, uh, well, because my, my first semester in Trent was not that great. <laughs> or was it great, but in different ways? No. Okay. No, it was, just, it was just a mess. <laughs> it was just, uh. But you know what? E- 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 uh, mess mess and, and misery, and I have had good doses of both. <laughs> I think most of us do. Uh with any luck, they can be at least generative for us. They can help us learn, right? We can at least go, Ray, 
I don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> and and if if you're me, uh, you'll still do it again, <laughs> and you might do it again. And uh, but you know, gradually, it is about taking that rudder and steering, steering our ship a little bit, other than just where the wind's blowing. What are your opinion? What what is your opinion on a business book? I'm not saying business textbook, but business book like, like seven high, the ha- seven highly. Wait one second. The, the habits seven habits of, seven. of highly effective people. You do you know that book? I certainly do. Uh, and primal leadership. There are so and many. Like there are like, so many of these things. What's your opinion on them? Because I think they're useless. <laughs> <laughs> Useless is a, is a, is a, is a, is an interesting word. Um, I uh, first, I kind of agree with you, um, uh, but I think business books are like every kind of uh, of book is, uh, they're sort of a natural. Uh, people want to feel like there are um, there are magic solutions for things, and uh, there are so many things. Um, you know, probably romance books and business books. You'd almost think of as different aspects of the same uh, yearning in the human soul. Of, well, there's got to be an easy, less messy way. Um, uh, I must be just different, and worse, and shittier than regular people, and I've got to just find out what these like amazing, smart people do, and I'll just do that, and life is great, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, a a natural thing, and it's. In some respects, sweet and funny, and it's normal. You know, that's that's what we're like as people. Um, and I do think that in a lot of cases, at least some of what I think of as the better ones in here, uh, have some interesting insights to them too. Um, what I always hope is that, uh, and this is to me what is part of uh, the culture of good university training, good university learning, is that all those things uh, we look at them. And we take them just with a grain of salt, right? Where's that expression from? That's interesting. Um, uh, you know? We take them with just, I don't know where that is, uh, where that's from, but we take them with just a grain of salt. Like, it's not like we go, oh, that's, you know, oh, it's popular. It's therefore just a pile of shit, right? We don't, we don't have to be like that, but we can go, you know, hmm, I'm curious. I'll look at it. I'll have an open mind, but I'll also be thoughtful. I'll use my experience and other things to kind of think about, you know, is this person, guy, they're almost all guys, um, just selling books or have they, is there stuff to learn from this? And that's where us steering our own ship comes in again. It's not just the wind blowing of a book that, you know, whatever eight bazillion people have bought, um, but it's, it is me thinking about that. It just I kind of just feel like these books are similar to... I think these books are when you're like thinking too much. It's like back when we were talking about entrepreneurship. It's like this is what I think when I think people are thinking too much. Okay, that that sentence no, might no, not no, make no. sense. I, but I, I don't no, 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 no. It, 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 and I think you know one thing you, that there are a lot of kind of business books in are things about careers and you know what color is your parachute and all these things of like how to find the career that you love. And just just think about it. I mean, one very common natural human, you know, neurosis, paranoia, fear is, oh my God, what am I going to do with my life, right? So from a business perspective, 
like it's weird it's a bit depressing but it's just human um it is that's an opportunity to sell a book anytime that there is fear right a fear uh a thing uh we want solutions and so something with a cool cover and some good blurbs on it yes. and, and, and yeah. something something that name the seven habits of uh it's like yeah. list yeah people like list yep and then of course then there's probably counter books of the 14 habits of total losers like yeah. me <laughs> <laughs> yeah and like 10 habits of what what a navy seal would have done like, oh, yeah know. exactly yeah 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 so uh, you know a commando's perspective to yeah. starting you know a commando's <laughs> perspective to like teaching your children to get out to school in the morning or whatever yeah so so that's that yeah Okay, when I was applying for summer job just past summer, I applied for small local comp- company and big international company that based in Toronto. And the big companies usually send me an interview questionnaire kind of thing. And one of the questions is like this. You're working on an assignment for a client that due by the end of the week. The project requires collaborating with other teams and other departments to collect all the relevant information. So you send email to the team and they send you back the information and you were compiling the information. But one of the team didn't send you all the information by the deadline that you've set. So you've sent another email saying, uh, hey, time to give me the uh, information. And then they respond saying, we will send it to you as soon as possible without a specific day or time. As the deadline is approaching, you're worried that you can't finish the, the task on time. What will you do? And there are three options. Option A, talk to the team so you can understand what is stopping them from sending you the information and agree on a course of action so you can receive th- uh, the information in time. Option B, speak to the team and highlight the importance of the information and its direct impact on the project. Option C, send another email asking if they can give you a date or time. What is the right answer? (laughs) My right answer to that question would be, uh, like to me, the answer is obvious there. And the answer is D, I would work for the small business in Peterborough. No, 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 no. That's not one of the answers. You can't do that. You can't do that. A, B, or C. Because, you know what? I just find, so, like, questions like that, it has framed a job in the most numbingly bureaucratic, procedural, oh, shit. You know, from my own perspective, my answer is, I just wouldn't want to work in a thing like that. I really wouldn't. So I'm not going to answer it. I'm leaving. I'm running away. So, you know, I mean, inside the, the, the bowels of a question like that, there's things about communication and good communication and, and functional working relationships and things like that. Um, because, you know, one of the premises is, is it's already in this problem thing rather than, well, why wouldn't everybody have been communicating better beforehand? And, and what a, you know, when you got colleagues like that and uh, like this. <laughs> But in that bigger thing, uh, it loops back to where we really began uh, this discussion about, you know, purpose and choices and things like that. And 
And God, an interview question like that. Um, you know, if I was desperate for a job, maybe if I had some really strong feeling about really wanting to work in that company, maybe, but part of me would say, I'd take a question like that as an indication that it's time to run away and teach surfing in Australia instead or something like that. I hope you have summer jobs. I, I did. I other jobs up, more interesting. I ended up working in a local company in Piero. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> no, they didn't want me. They didn't want me. No. Those big companies uh, you know didn't what? want me. You know what? I and, probably and answered the wrong question. And, and, and a lot of times, especially when people are young and just trying to get experience, professional experience and things like that, uh, rejection People take rejection quite personally, like, oh, I wish I was a better human being or more desirable. You can flip that around a lot. A lot of play, like, you may have been very lucky they didn't <laughs> hire you. Like, you, you know, I tell a lot of my students who are just so wonderful, you know, you deserve, you deserve a great place to work. And not everybody is going to deserve you. And it's important to think about that. There's a lot of really... Uh, shitty, depressing, nowhere things, and they may not deserve you. Because, you know, if you are engaged, curious, learning, wonderful, you deserve a place that is going to build that, care about it. And if it place doesn't, like, you know, again, if you're desperate, that's one thing. But otherwise, care about your journey. Let's say if you're doing an interview and hiring someone... What is one question that you ask? Oh, um, uh, so I I hire I hire a lot of people actually, and um, I really ask people. I start really wide open. I I ask people to tell me about themselves and their interests, and I ask them to tell me about uh, how they like to work and what are some examples of how they like to work. Um, what I'm really interested in, and maybe this relates to why I really, really hated that question from before, is, is to me, the issue is really about complementarity. I want them to, to fit in the kind of, you know, ship I'm sailing uh, with things. And uh, that, that, to me, is the issue. So I want to find out about them as a person, um, because you're working with a person. Um, uh, I want somebody who's going to learn uh, and be really excited, really voracious about learning because uh, what people bring to a job is is so small compared to how much they are going to need to learn uh, once they're there. And so I want people who are, who are learners, who are interesting. Um, uh, I really want people who have good stories because, again, you work with a human being and it's great to have good stories. Like when you think about... Uh, uh, pinch of salt or grain of salt or whatever we were talking about you know you got to sit there at your at your tea break and you can say wonder where that expression came from and if a person isn't even interested how long do you want to work with them <laughs> okay the next question is very much googleable but i still want to ask you anyway what are the difference between business formal business professional business casual and smart casual you ask some of the best questions. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And I would say, uh, uh, and I'll just play with the question rather than answer the question. So if, I, if you actually had me and had a light 
pointing over my head like an interrogation in a police cell or whatever, I would have to say, oh, I'm sorry, sir, I don't know. Um, but my, my better answer is, 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 you know, at somewhere like Trent or somewhere like Peterborough, so my students are having a uh, end of term kind of holiday casino night uh, next week or the week after or something like that. It's always fun. And they have it as, as sort of kind of quasi formal or whatever like that. And, but what's so interesting, wait, here we go, is what's interesting is in my observations, my sociological observations at Trent is that first for women, it means something entirely different than for men. So most women at a semi-formal quasi, I mean, they, they are, they are dressed. They are dressed very differently than I would ever see them. I'm used to them in sweatsuits and whatever, uh, Ugg boots and their hair up in a blob and all that. And then they come and it's like, oh my goodness, <laughs> like, who are you? Uh, guys, at quasi-formal or semi-formal, literally probably means that at least they're wearing clothes. Hopefully they're clean. Um, uh, it really is so, so variable, you know. Um, you know, you could get into the culture side of that, you know, but at, at, in a university context, it's so variable. You want to look at something that is kind of like uh, uh, business casual. Business casual in Toronto, business casual in Montreal, and business casual in Peterborough are all totally different things, which is really cool, too. Um, that makes sense. Yeah, but, but business casual at Trent probably just means you're wearing clothes and hopefully they're clean. What are you working on right now? I am heading to Texas for a conference next week. I'm doing uh, research, kind of getting into what you're looking at about technology, but technology in the social enterprise or nonprofit sector and how technology is being used uh, for social change. Um, uh, I'm also chair of the sociology program here at Trent uh, right now, um, business prof, involved in all kinds of things. My, my biggest focus of my prof professor work is Trent itself, and I love the place. That does it for this episode. If you like this episode, share it with your friend and come back next week for another one. Thank you again, Ray, for joining me in this episode. Thank you, and remember the motto for today, life's a mess. Okay, well, until you've sorted out your life, stay curious.